Hello and welcome to the Challenging University podcast with me, your host, Tony Kent. Now, how does it feel to be born and brought up in a family and a culture where university is an expectation and not a choice? To answer that question, I'm joined by Nana Adjiman. He's a Proposition Delivery Manager at Barclays and was born in Ghana. In this episode, he shares his memories of his early experiences of the education system in Ghana, what it felt like to come to the UK to start secondary school education, and some of the conversations that he had with his family around what he was going to do post-16. We touch on apprenticeships, working your way up, the pros and cons of university life, and uh, exactly what his parents said when he told them some of his peers at school were choosing not to go down the university route. I'm sure you're going to love this episode. It's a topic that we're definitely going to explore in the future. Let me know what you think. Let's go on with it. So thank you, Nana, for agreeing to come on the Challenging University podcast. My pleasure. This is a first for me to record in a professional studio. <laughs> first episode in a professional well, media centre. Love it. Love it. <laughs> and this is going to be a first in terms of the subject matter. But before we get on to that, could you please share your full name and what it is you do today? Sure. Um, so my name is Nana Ajiman. Um, I work for Barclays. I work as a proposition delivery manager. So in short, I basically support businesses to um, on their growth journey with a variety of different options in terms of like insights and, and, and reports they can read into. Uh, I also support them with um, access to accelerator programs to essentially help develop them. And as, as part, as separate from that, I also um, really enjoy citizenship and actually getting involved in, in, in opportunities to really better the communities that um, we serve, as well as also that I reside in. I'm a, I'm a London um, citizen, but of Ghanaian heritage, which I know we'll touch on that later. So I enjoy pretty much every everything social purpose and social impact oriented. Awesome. So when we first met, it was at the Barclays Socio-Economic Inclusion Day. Yeah. And someone said to me, oh my God, you need to speak to Nana. <laughs> and when we first started talking and you talked about your story and I said, oh, but you know, you are a graduate. Yeah. I said, I, I don't know, how do we make this fit? And you went, ha ha, yeah. let's talk about cultural expectations. Yeah. And since you and I had that conversation, I've been speaking to a number of people, including Cynthia here, and I said, oh, uh, that kind of Ghanaian heritage of being expected to go to uni, she went, let me tell you about this. So I know that people want to hear this, and it's something that I really do want to explore. So let's start with um, your early years of education. Sure. Talk to me about where you started off in education and, and then your experiences within the UK education system. Sure. So, um, yeah, like I mentioned, I was born in Ghana and the capital city, Accra. Um, and so in Ghana, in Ghana, you start you actually start school a year earlier than you do in Great Britain. And so there are our equivalent of that nursery there is kindergarten, similar to like in America. In America. Um, so I studied, I went to kindergarten. Um, I can't say I was studying then, I, was, <laughs> I worked in kindergarten 
um, early stage school in um, in a school by the name of Bishop Bowers. So Bishop and um, Bishop Bowers was named after a, a Ghanaian bishop, um, essentially B O W E R S, um, in the center of Accra. Um, study. I uh, did did my kindergarten there, and then they they had a whole schooling system within that one organization where you right. could literally stay in that school, um, and then and then go through your 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 primary and sec- secondary schooling. So I um then stayed on to do my primary school schooling, and now the the slightly different way that schooling works in in Ghana is that um payments it's school um. And public school school isn't free, so schooling all the way through isn't actually a free a, a, a free public uh, state funded initiative. So your parents actually have to pay a, a, a annual I think it's either a quarterly or annual fee to send you through to education. Wow. And forth their whole attitude to it is very is <laughs> yeah. very serious because they're literally paying for that on top of any sort of private tutoring that some people might have. And so um, I did went to kindergarten, went did my um, primary schooling in Ghana. Um, and yeah, before that, I did my whole primary school in, in Ghana before then transitioning over to the UK where I started in year seven and did my, 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 my secondary school, which is a bit of a culture shock if you can touch on as well. But yeah, yeah um, I, I, my early stages in, 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 in my Ghanaian school system were like very strict, pretty much essentially. I, I, I was about maybe 15 minutes away from that school, so I was actually pretty much at an early stage quite independent walking myself to school yeah uh like uh stay, getting involved in a lot of extracurricular stuff staying behind um doing a lot of voluntary lessons to make sure that again because my parents wow. were paying for school and yeah. i didn't <laughs> i didn't disappoint and this is i just know i'm going to learn the whole way through this um so you came were you 11 or uh, 12 you were 12, 12 yeah. but you started in year seven yeah um, what was your initial experience of coming into the the, the UK yeah. secondary school system? Yeah, so the first thing was, I would say, uh, in a good way, but a very big cultural shock to how yeah. diverse that is. Because yeah. um, being born in Ghana, uh, the only diversity we had was one um, um, peer that I had in my class that was of Lebanese background that happened to literally have moved to, to Ghana with his parents. Whereas when I went to secondary school I went to a public public secondary school Greg City Academy which is um, based in North London in an area known as um, in Hornsey Haringey yeah. um, and it was like a big culture shock where I had um, Turkish classmates Indian classmates Chinese classmates like, yeah. like and, and essentially it was just it, in a good way it was almost kind of like I felt, I felt like pretty much enough, naturally a whole new environment, unsure of how to interact with all of the different cultures and the, and, yeah. the, and, and, and the nuances of the different people that were going to, I was going to be interacting with. The one difference for me was that because I had I was literally probably at that point in time a couple of months fresh into being in the country, it was, yeah. it was and I also went from 30 degree weather to, yeah. <laughs> to, to a cold winter, a cold winter, it, it was, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a lot to, to take on. Luckily though, um, um, being that I was based in, 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 in North London, it's a it, it was quite close to a um, large a, a, a area of London, which um, which is um, Tottenham, which is a, a large has a large Ghanaian um, um, populace. Okay. So there was there was still that element of things, but it was definitely a, 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 it took me a while to get used to. And and so was it a, a state comprehensive school? Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and what were your parents' expectations for your, um, sort of, what did they expect you to do while you were there? Yeah, so 
in honesty, my my I feel like my parents in the right right way had um, my whole path career set <laughs> for okay. me. So yeah. essentially, my parents' view was that I was essentially going to go through obviously secondary school and get to a point where I did A levels and then also go through university because what it was was um, I had a grandfather my, on my mother's side of the family who basically had st- done all of his schooling in terms of primary and secondary schooling in Ghana, but then um, travelled over to the States on a scholarship to, to, ah. to, do, to study university. So yeah. when Ghanaian culture was taken as a really serious thing, as yeah. in, like, you're very fortunate to be in that position because yeah. not everyone in, in, in your in, in your con- con- in immediate vicinity gets that. So my parents pretty much had the whole vision of you're going <laughs> to uni, yeah. you're going to one of the top, the top, the top 15, ideally. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I kind of just pretty much worked towards that. As I grew older and I started to see that some of my friends were saying, like, what, for example, I got to year 12. Yeah. And um, one of my colleagues, one of my peers was like, well, basically was of the view of, I'm not, I'm not going to college. And that was alien to me because I was like, yeah. what are you going to do? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't, at that point in time, I didn't know what of the options that were available. But yeah, came to find out later. Um, and what did you study? What, what was. What was your passion? At A-level? Yeah, yeah, A-level, yeah. So my passion was actually English Lit. Reason being was, um, so in Ghana we have tribal languages, um, Chui, which is spoken by people called the Ashanti that live in the north, in Kumasi, and um, Ghana, which is the capital city, the Accra's language. Um, I had uh, drips and drabs of both languages, mm-hmm. and I was able to speak and understand them, but yeah. um, I was always quite good with the English language and um, even 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 uh, again like English being the lingua, lingua franca of the world it was also like the, the most prominent language that all of the yeah. tribal um, re- regions in the country spoke so um, I, I was re- really really into, in, in, into English and, and infused with English culture overall because I traveled back and forth a lot when I was I, I was young so I studied English as my primary choice which I carried through to uni but then I did English and geography business studies and media. The reason I did English was primarily because of the point I just mentioned, but also the two R that I had in, in sixth form in college. So I went to Greg City Academy and I stayed there for sixth form and had, was fortunate enough to have the same two R throughout from year 11 to sixth form, so for oh, four wow. years. And yeah. he basically, and you'll probably love this if he sees this, Mr. Sam Bird was his name, and um, he basically made me fall in love with the with, with, with the subjects and pretty much um, really got me passionate. He was a recent graduate himself that had basically gotten into, in, into, into teaching. And so we related because of the fact that he was a young teacher. Yeah. Um, he, un- he understood um, pretty much some of the um, nuances around um, my, my culture and what, like the issues yeah. I was facing in terms of just getting embedded into, into the culture and really made me feel um, um, like I belonged. So yeah, geography was the other subjects because I had a, a good teach relationship with the um, tutor that taught that um, a guy by the name of Mr. Holt um, in my school. I had business studies as another option because yeah. I was just really what it was with business studies was I was business studies was um, a BTEC option that um, would have quali- um, which I was on on track for a distinction for. Yeah. So it was more extra UCAS points just do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, media studies was um, again. An additional subject I picked because of the fact I was pretty much just really interested in, 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 in the way media works. But an interesting point to mention was that again because, like with like in all honesty, in all honesty, in African culture, particularly the Ghanaian university is taken as a very serious thing. 
And so when I told my dad, for example, that I was going to study media, he looked at it like we need to study very more, much more academic. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, I had we had all of those types of, <laughs> of, of, of situations. But um, yeah, those are the four subjects I picked to move forward with. I studied English Lit at Anglia Ruskin University, the yeah. Cambridge branch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, went on to graduate from there. So um, when you discovered like you had classmates that, yeah. that said, oh no, I'm not going to university, yeah. when you replayed that to your family, yeah. what, what was their response? I hope you're not thinking. What <laughs> 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 was their response? Because essentially, yeah, <laughs> it was literally the response. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, like, it was more of a thing where I was one of the first to go to a British university, but a lot of my, my um, like, it was like, it was like uh, certain members of my, my family had gone up to, like, um, like I mentioned, American and, and obviously studied yeah. in, um, in, in Ghanaian-based universities. Yeah. But um, it was, again, one of the interesting facts is um, with um, um, Ghanaian universities, although you, you do pretty much the same amount of study, yeah. your qualification isn't always recognised as, as, as being valid um, in Britain. Yeah. So, like, even for example, because I was born in Ghana, and I'm sorry to segue, I had to do a naturalisation process where I basically right. had to get naturalised because I came over when I was 12 and both my parents were of Ghanaian heritage, weren't, they weren't British, so I had to essentially, um, I forget what the or naturalization or do the whole process with the exam and and, and so then yeah yeah wow so um luckily because i um it was weird because i grew up in got in england since i was from the age of 12 and yeah. then I, I think this was about when i was 19 years old so yeah. I, I was lucky because i was then informed that if i hadn't gone to uni i would have had to then pay a good couple thousands of pounds to prove i could speak english so i would have literally had to do an exam <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is crazy to me. Even though, wow. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. yeah, so I had to basically <laughs> get that out of the way. But the reason I mentioned that is, is um, like a lot of my, my parents, friends, and family, and also mm. uncles, aunts, etc., that had basically were quite really super educated and got their qualifications, yeah. had basically transitioned over to the States or the, yeah. or, or the UK. But because their qualifications weren't, weren't recognised, they weren't able to get those degree qualifying roles and had to settle for. Yeah. Um, and again, no, they're, not, they're no, no less about like essentially a retail or different types of, of, of roles yes. that, that didn't earn as, earn as much. So my parents had this thing of, you need to make sure that on paper you tick the boxes and you essentially yeah. an employer will look at you as somebody that's gone through the uni system past it. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, I did. I spoke to someone the other day telling them yeah. your story, and, yeah. and she is of Ghanaian heritage, and yeah. she said that someone that she worked with had said to his parents he thought about an apprentice, doing an apprenticeship, <laughs> and they slapped him. Oh, wow. I yeah. mean, yeah. this is, like she said, it was going back, I don't know, 15 yeah. years or so. Yeah. But That's not surprising, though. Honestly, <laughs> I can't, honestly, I can honestly tell you, because I'm in Africa as well, um, it's actually legal government level for you to actually get beat at school so right. you're actually um, so I remember like vividly uh, and it's a bit more lenient now but I remember like we used to do our what's known as hands tables which is yes. basically where you yeah so yeah, yeah. I would literally honestly be able to tell you I, I used to be able, <laughs> used to <laughs> but I used to be able to literally from what one to twelve be able to yeah. tell you randomly like what's yeah. twelve times eight and I'd be able to recite it or yeah. or, or seven times nine etc yeah. xyz because essentially every sort of re- reception during um, the first couple of hours of, of school we'd literally yeah. just be chosen at random and given a set to, 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 to study so um, yeah. 
when I came into the UK, like, pretty much, I, I, I sat an exam once with a calculator, and I looked at the questions, and I thought, wow, I get a calculator to do this? <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, that, honestly, that, that's, yeah. It, and I feel like it's almost that kind of wanting to prove that, and naturally, like, in any sort of human life environment, I wanted to prove that pretty much we're equal or, like, um, as good as is why, um, essentially, my parents were really, really um, 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 forceful for me to, um, to, 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 to to get into uni. But, yeah, it, it, Ghanaians are definitely very passionate about that. <laughs> but, so, I, 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 once I kind of told my mum that I was considering other options, and it was literally, well... If you're a grown up, <laughs> then you can you can make grown up decisions and, uh, and go do all you want. But if you're gonna be here, then you need to. Yeah. But then, yeah. So yeah, that's what I mean. And um, were apprenticeships ever discussed at your sixth form? Was it ever an option? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so they were, but if I be totally honest, um, two reasons. Again, I just knew it was <laughs> gonna be a um a, a issue if I raised them raised them, and I, and I didn't have that much knowledge about uh, apprenticeships when I was younger. Yeah. I was actually I actually told you. A crazy, well, crazy story. It was actually once when I was in. Uh, so the way I entered, got into Barclays was weird because, well, not weird because I went through the, the entry level process, but I went into uni and didn't actually do a graduate, a graduate role. So I kind of just got the degree uh, and I started off as an entry level, in an entry level role as a cashier, which I could have done anyway if I had kind of. So and I had this discussion with my, with my mom, and she was her view was you're gonna need it one day, and, and that's, uh, <laughs> that, that, that's that was her train of thought. But um, my ex- first experience of pretty much actually even learning what an apprenticeship was was at the age of probably, what, like 21 mm. for me when I was in Barclays and had a colleague walk through the door, a new colleague, and told me he joined as an apprentice. And I thought, what? Like, uh-huh. what do you mean you joined as an apprentice? Because, again, it was totally alien to me. That, um, and then, um, again, when I found out pretty much a couple months later about the grad scheme and, 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 and internship processes because to me all I knew at that point in time was yeah. university had that degree yeah. and even if you don't use it immediately you're somehow going to essentially benefit off that. Okay so you did your degree so you, yeah. you've come away from uni with that. Yeah. How, what was the process between you graduating and then becoming a cashier? Oh, that's a long story. So, <laughs> I, I did, uh, I did pretty much in every job you can imagine. <laughs> I, I came out of uni and um, my aim was to get into journalism, if I'll be totally honest with yeah. you. My, my original aim was, I was I thought I'm going to work for the BBC, I wanna, I, I'm good with writing, I want to travel the world. Um, I, like, at that point, I travelled to, between Ghana, uh, the US, here, um, the UK, and a few other con- European countries, and I thought, yeah, I want to do a lot more traveling. Yeah. I'm fresh out of uni, I've studied my whole life, I want to I want to yeah. be able to do a role that's going to take me around the world. So I applied for a few journal- journalism positions, got a few unfavorable responses, a few offers to work for free for a couple of months, to prove myself. <laughs> oh, isn't that nice? And my mom basically <laughs> pretty much was the view of, you're not doing that. So, yeah. um, I, in the means to fill up my, to fill up my time, um, I, the first job I think I ever applied for was Subway. I applied to work in Subway just to get a bit of money and some independence yeah. away from pocket money. Yeah. And I was basically in there, no word of a lie, for about three days and I thought, no, like, it's, not, yeah. it's not for me. I didn't last very long. And then yeah. I moved um, to Sainsbury's. I applied for Sainsbury's yeah. uh, as a customer service advisor. Um, and then ended up being a baker. So then I, <laughs> which was interesting, I learned a lot about 
I bought I bought bacon so a little hidden talent I'm still still Where's my cakes? No, I know yeah, I still had the equipment. But yeah, I used it was like honestly, even though that it wasn't specifically what I wanted to do, it was really character building. Reason being was that at a very young age I was waking up getting to the train station before TFL staff opened the train stations up, getting on the first train into central London. Um Learning, le- learning to bake at a young age, I was like literally out of the cold into the warmth of the store, into a cold yeah. freezer, back into it. <laughs> yeah. And I was doing that for about pre- um, pretty much a year. Left, and I eventually le- um, left there because I, um, I finally got, a- and then again, I got, a- and my mentality then was more so you just need to make some money and start and, and start and, and start getting yourself ready for adult life. So I did crazy hours, I was working like 50 hours, Doing all, like I had, um, but I, I then went into working for Arsenal Football Club as a retail assistant, and being an Arsenal supporter also. Hopefully ah. this year we do it. <laughs> um, yeah. Being an Arsenal supporter, um, I was able to essentially benefit off having the accessibility to players, having um, the opportunity to occasionally watch free games, and I worked wow. there as a customer service advisor. Now I was uh, I was in Havana. I was I was happy. I, I, yeah. I thought I never want to leave this place. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then again. My mother at the time worked for Barclays, and an opportunity came up um, in in the, the um, a customer service advisory um, field where you didn't necessarily need to have banking experience, just more so okay. be good with people. Yeah. And so she mentioned that she wanted me to apply for Barclays, and I looked at her and I thought, I studied English at uni. Why are you going to make me apply for a bank? Like, yeah. I'm trying to get into journalism. That's my long-term yeah. goal. I'm going to stay at Arsenal until something comes up. She spoke me into it, and I thought she had a friend um, that works at the company also. Yeah. Um, so I agreed to meet, and we had a talk, and I was a bit reluctant, but I thought, you know what? What's what I got to lose? I'll yeah. make the application. So I applied initially for an area called Dawson, Dawson Kingston, yeah. which is about. 15 minutes away from me and I thought what's the worst if that can happen if I get this job it's 15 minutes away from home I know the area yeah. I'm familiar with what type of people I'm going to be serving there I know the local community is perfectly yeah. fine and then yeah. I actually got an offer but then got told I was moving to Piccadilly Circus and I, I honestly speaking I thought oh no like that was my first yeah. that was the first reaction because like, that was the flagship um, site at the time and I thought to myself how am I going to fit in here? Like, I'm, I'm an immigrant from Ghana. That's it. Oh, okay. uh, and I thought to myself at that point in time, I had a very tunnel vision view. Of course, we've got technology that does a lot of the complex calculations and procedures, but I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to fit in here because of the fact that, again, I had this view of, I've gone to uni, I've, I focused in on, on English. I was decent at maths. I, I got a V at um, GCSE, but I kind of <laughs> left, it, left it there. Yeah. And, I, and I thought that I was going to really struggle to, number one, understand processes and also fit in with the different um, the, the, the different types of people I'll meet there. And I, I didn't think that culturally would fit me. Um, I went to Piccadilly Circus as, on my first day and my manager was going in. And I thought, wow, like I've got a Ghanaian manager. But then again, she told me her story and it was interesting to me. And it was, again, something that I kind of had a moment my mom about because basically I was, I was, my manager never went to uni either and she was a branch manager of like a flagship branch and I looked at it like why have I done <laughs> but I, at the end of the day I'm not stating it because I did learn a lot of good lessons from uni and make some good some good lifelong friends as well yeah. um, and it's just giving me perspective on like the, really just the importance of um knowing what options you got available because like, I could have done an internship for example which I would have happily have done and have yeah. worked and got and got paid and done the degree even though it might have been a bit more work I would have come up yes. with a qualification and, and, and the degree as well but uh, yeah it's definitely been an eye opener over the last couple of years. Um, and when we spoke originally you said that 
there has been a point actually where your degree has come into play. Yeah, like your mum said, yeah. and isn't it annoying when our parents are <laughs> like, um, But can you talk a little bit about that? Because what you do now is very different from yes, your cashier work. Yeah, of course. So um, well, I can kind of give you an overview of like how my progression was. So I was a cashier for about a year and 10 months. Um, in, in what was a flagship branch, and then I became a personal banker. So I, I essentially moved from, and the way the branch was set up, um, you had the, the base ground floor mm-hmm. where all the cashier and desks were, and then you had this upper floor yeah. where the personal banker sat. And I looked out like, every day, and for one day, I'm gonna be, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be on the, one of those desks and have my own designated desk with my, with, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, with pl- clients that I serve. And yeah, um, I got there within about a year and. 10 months of being enrolled. Um, after that, I then, so what happened was with it being the flagship branch, uh, quite a number of senior and important colleagues came in. And so one of the regional heads of um, the business banking side of our company um, happened to be sat behind me while I was serving a customer um, as a personal banker. And he basically pretty much overheard a half hour conversation. And when the customer left, I didn't know him from anywhere. I've had him at all. He literally just walked up to me, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, I, I, I like you. I want you to apply for business banking. And I looked at him and I thought, I shook his hand and said, Yes, of course, I'll look into it. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, He's out of his mind. There's no way I'm there. There's no way. Because wow. I was in my comfort zone. And that's one thing. Because again, I was I had really bad imposter syndrome when I stepped into the world of banking. Because I had, honestly, you could tell you, I had my mind focused on, I'm going to do something specifically focused on English. I'm going to be a journalist at an alpha yeah. this point. So I moved into business banking. I uh, know I initially turned his offer down in a polite way. I thought I'm not gonna tell him in his face. I'm gonna wait a couple of days, send yeah. a nice, very long email of excuses of why I can't do this right now. Yeah. Um, and he's basically pretty much in a nutshell said, "Fine, no problem. That's up to you. Well, yeah. nice to meet you. Regardless." Um, and then a year later, I, I, I plucked up the courage and decided I was gonna go for it. Yeah. Um, it was a tough time because it also then coincided with COVID. With COVID. So I yeah. was basically new to a role but isolated working at home. So I had to wow. learn everything remotely. And it, it's, it's different from being kind of next to someone and tapping them on the shoulder. Oh, can you show me X, Y, and yeah. Z? To having to put some time in the diary and sit and call and yeah. send a message on Teams and have someone screen share with you. <laughs> yeah. So I did that for a while. It was a difficult time period, but I managed to get through it. Um, and whilst whilst I was doing that, I joined a um, employee resource group in the company, which is yeah. known as the Black Professionals Resource Group, which is essentially, in the simplest way of putting it, a group of like-minded colleagues that with um, a, a, a course at seminary, whether it be ethnicity or we've got like Inspire, um, Inspire which is a social mobility yeah. resource group, or like working families, different multi, multicultural faith group. But um, I joined that employee resource group and I was doing a lot of work on communications for, for the group, so internally to colleagues. And then what happened was one day I was just going through the job board, just thinking, yeah, I've been in business banking for a while. It's all right, but I'd rather prefer to be doing something else. And then I saw an employee communications role. Now, honestly, I think I might have mentioned this earlier. I had such a tunnel vision view of the organization, I thought. I, I, like, and again, only once I got into that role, it really opened up my eyes to how much opportunity there was. At this point in time, I was within the branch network only. And, and there's always been, and it's, it's less so now, and we're still working at it, this stigma of if you're on the branch, the, uh, maybe you're going to become a branch manager, but that's where it plateaus, yeah. and you can't do anything else other than that. Maybe you might work for the company for 30 years and become an area director, and then if you're lucky, yeah. <laughs> you might. But that was pretty much what my mindset was. So I saw this role with internal communications co- that colleague, and then I looked at it and I thought to myself, 
I don't know if I'm going to get this. I closed the laptop down and I, 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 on my way home, I was just thinking to myself, no, I think I had a difficult interaction with a customer and I was thinking to myself, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I want to try this. I'm going to try for this role. So I reached out to the hiring manager and I said, listen, I can see the job description. I've been to uni though and I've got the qualification. Yeah. But I'm, I haven't really used, utilized my qualification. But what I have done is I've got these examples of communications I've done on the side of this uh, for um, social purpose work. Um, send, them over, send it over in the email and I thought I'm never going to hear back from him. And luckily, um, Chris was his name, Chris Gardner. He actually, the director that was advertising for the role, reached back out to me um, to, um, to have a team at MS Teams chat just to kind of fill me out and see where my mind was. Now, an interesting story for you on this is the so we have um, we're all going to see my friend Brandon Lady or when you typically apply for any role, it goes through a recruiter, then the hiring manager will view it after they, they review the CVs. The recruiter has actually declined my application for a CV based on experience. But, but luckily, because I had that conversation with the hiring manager and actually yeah. showed him all of the extracurricular stuff I was doing, I just showed my enthusiasm and willingness to learn. Yeah. He invited me for an interview regardless. Yeah. So I was able to interview for that for that role, did three sets of interviews, one with um, him and the, and um, the director and my actual hiring manager, one with um, the hiring manager again as a follow-up just mm-hmm. to, 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 to fine-tune my, my, um, my, my answers and pretty much make sure my, my mindset was right for the role. Mm-hmm. And then the final interview I did was kind of like an informal interview with the team just to make sure yeah. that they, they took a liking to me and that I was going to fit in. And so then I got a phone call and I looked saw the number and I thought, oh, this is who that is. Answered yeah. it and literally he told me you got the job and I was I, I, like I was monotone because I was kind of I was surprised. I was like, you don't know say this idea. Yeah. I thought it was a prank. I thought I was dreaming and he was like, no, like you're gonna be working in, 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 in Canary Wharf HQ and I thought, wow, wow. Like, like, like and I, I thought to myself, wow like I didn't get into the journalism field and maybe my mum was, was right when she told me something's gonna open up for you at Barclays. This is probably about maybe four years of me being in the company. So again, I had massive imposter syndrome because although I had the ability to do so, I was thinking, and then this is when everything else started to kick in. I was thinking maybe, I sh- like, I got in, yes, partly because I had the degree, but I had these soft skills anyway. And I thought to myself, maybe I should have got into an apprentice earlier and started working from younger. And I could have been even further down the line or mm-hmm. um, got into an internship, but I, I, I went and applied for that role anyway. And I, w- I was in that role. That was probably my favorite time within the company because I was literally writing communications day in, day out, and it was my yeah. bread and butter. Um, and I was working with like, really senior colleagues, managing director. And some, sometimes, honestly, it scared that I'm going to say, but it scared. It's like I was really pushed out of my comfort zone because I was having, I was like an analyst level colleague two levels up from entry level and I was having meetings with managing directors and senior yeah. heads of function. I even remember once I had a, a senior head of function phone my mobile. Luckily I missed the call because I wouldn't have known what to say to him. <laughs> and he left me a voice when I was looking. I messaged my colleague that, wow, you'll never guess who rang me. Like, yeah. you know, like, my dissertation was the synonymous relationship between song lyrics and poetry. And I went into, oh, wow. I, I basically compared modern day R&B to yeah. the Psalms and the Bible and how, wow. and how yeah. pretty much all of it's old English and, and Hebrew and, and, and Latin compa- and com- and, and, and comparison to modern day terminology. They're, yeah. they're conveying the same similar type of messaging in different formats. And all of that kind of stuff and creativity I was able to take into the corporate side of the organization and really change the way that things were done. Because like, for example, when we when I moved into the corporate side of the, of the company, we had this format where we would just have kind of what became wallpaper or news publications of 
such and such bank helps this customer to do yeah. X, Y, and Z, and it, yeah. it became a thing of like where we, those the stories weren't getting read much internally or externally, and I put forward new suggestions of how we could basically maybe take bite-sized portions of bit different bits and splice them together yes. into different, just creative ways within the, the realms of what was possible, and it really revolutionised the way that we, we do things. When I left my, my, my mark on that side of the organisation, and it basically pretty much showed me that I had those soft skills. I was able to then also pick up on a lot of skills and, and from, I would honestly say, some of the um, more junior colleagues that I worked with that were, at that point in time, maybe come, I was maybe 22, 23 at this point in time, but I had colleagues that I joined uh, maybe that, that were 18, 19, studying yeah. and, 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 and interning, and it really opened up my eyes as pretty much having that opportunity to network and be able to immerse myself, immerse myself in all of their, their, their different career paths, and we, it, it helped to form, to shape me as an individual. Oh, sorry, that's a long no, no, but it's just there's so many things because I'm just basically now thinking about how much in the Psalms was about <laughs> like um, I don't know going for a drink on Tuesday. <laughs> well, I mean, the Bible speaks about wine and there's benefits. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and on Wednesday. Uh, they made love. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Psalms according to Saint Craig David. Exactly. There's so many questions, but I guess one thing that intrigues me, actually, is you talked about how you've got colleagues who are apprentices and ones who are on graduate scheme and (coughs) ones who are working their way up. So have you got any observations on maybe how um, working in the industry as you do, how each of those routes are equally valid? Yeah, 100%. So, like, I can start off with... Um, colleagues that work like maybe leave school at an early age yeah, and, yeah. and come from the ground up. I worked with an area director who has an amazing story and her name is Judy, she's recently retired. She has an amazing story whereby she left school with pretty much, I think, either no GCSEs or just literally under the national average and she was able to work her way up right from a cashier up to become a director and super knowledgeable. And it just basically taught me, well, I always knew this, but it reinforced the fact that um, it, funny enough, we're recording this and it's GCSE and not results day to day. It showed the fact that, like, um, I think that the way the education system, this is not a critique, but the educational system that we have is a bit outdated because I feel like, and I honestly felt this way when I was studying, it's just that like I couldn't afford not to pass, but I, yeah. it's, like, <laughs> um, it's like your whole life is based on this one particular day when you do yeah. this one exam. And I feel like it's not always a sign of how intelligent that somebody is. I think there's book smarts and there's actual yeah. life smarts as well in terms of how you, how you can be. And I've met a lot of colleagues that didn't go through the traditional routes, but are still super smart and still um, able to, to make that, 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 that positive step forward. One thing that I feel like people with that background sometimes suffer with is the imposter syndrome of seeing a senior role, seeing you must quali- have X, Y, Z qualification yeah. or be working towards X, Y, Z. And because they haven't got that educational, um, so, um, you know, uh, a st- uh, standard educational background, I'll call it that, like a lot of colleagues in some, in some cases can be put off. But I feel as well, having, I would like to call it street smarts, having, being able to have literally just had to, to, to come up right from the bottom of yeah. organisation 
really, really benefit you. We've got um, a, a head of deep diversity, equity, and inclusion that recently left called Hannah. Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see you again. And yeah, her story yeah. is amazing. Yeah. She told me her story like, about, you know, she made it to her director position and she's gone off to um, other greener pastors, but she literally left school without any qualifications and went to her first interview in, I think, Halifax and a tracksuit because she yeah. didn't know, like, pretty much the cultural norms of working in a corporate organisation that she's been able to, she was given a second chance, able to, given even given the advice of pretty much go get yourself some corporate attire and come yeah. back to the interview. And she was able to work her way up. So for people from that background, they just showed me that you don't necessarily need to have the, the tick in the box of, and not, I don't want to say tick in the box because it's, 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 it's a hard route to, to, to go through to uni and study, but you don't need to have the, the, the qualifications in order to, 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 to make something of yourself. With internships, with people that do internships, what I've found is a lot of my peers that have done internships are super hardworking. Some of my colleagues I've seen like and very driven. Like I was as as a, as a in my younger years, I was always motivated, but I was of the mentality of I'm young. I want to have a bit of fun. I want to yeah. I, I want to go yeah. out on the weekend and yeah. and, and see like five pm. I'm done. I don't yeah. work past five. I'm finished. <laughs> it's over. And yeah. whereas like a lot of my of peers that do internships are going home to study and yeah. you know like have um, still have responsibilities at home and maybe need to pay bills and support parents, especially with the current cost of living. And and so. Are, are very very much driven people and uh, I've, I've met interns that have literally come come in on a temporary intern internship proven themselves been given maybe a secondment or a permanent position and literally are now in director positions seen more senior than what, what I am in the organization and I find that people that are able to apply themselves and have that discipline from a young age knowing exactly what they want to get into knowing that you know financial services is a field for them are really tend to do well um, it's a difficult path and you definitely of course need to have that the, the drive to do it but i'm a believer of that saying that you know talent hard work hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard so um I've, I've seen a lot of people from that background make those positive um steps even with uh, uh, again i'm actually working now um, as part of the bprg that i'm a part of with some grads as well um, and when I first got given that task, I thought, you're going to, me? I, I, well, I, 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 I'm only fresh to like, pretty much knowing about graduate schemes a couple of years ago. But yeah. um, with a, a lot of the grads that I work with, um, it, it's twofold because I've, I've met a lot of grads even externally in my day to day. And uh, I feel like with, the, with, um, with, 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 with grads that are having um, the hope, I would say to get onto a graduate scheme, maybe it can be quite disheartening because graduate schemes are super hard to yeah, get. Yeah. And I've seen people go through applications and get declined yeah. and what that can do. And I feel like um, a, a few people that I've met that apply for graduate schemes have their open-mindedness to say, okay, fair enough, it's not the result that I wanted, but I can still apply for, even if it's an entry-level position, I can still at least yeah. get my foot in the organisation and then I can even yeah. internally apply for a graduate scheme and then get and, and get that opportunity. Whereas I've seen some people take the other route of, I'm just not going to apply for anything and I'm going to wait because I fully deserve a graduate scheme. But what I feel is like, from my experience anyway, life isn't always going to give you what you want and sometimes yeah. you've got to just pivot a bit and, and, and come in a, a bit of the unorthodox way. Like even my own career progression hasn't always been straight up. It's been up, sideways, step. <coughs> Stop there for a bit, stay there yeah. for a year or two. Luckily, no back, no 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 steps backwards. Even though that can happen sometimes as well, and I've been able to kind of just work my way up the ladder that way. But um, most graduate graduates that I've met, yeah, are super driven, pretty much have high expectations of themselves. And I and I believe like and what one thing I do find though is like a lot um, a lot of the guys that I work with, um, 
also suffer from imposter syndrome. Reason being is one thing that helped me a lot and I feel like it's a great benefit is when you step into the working world, it's good to have the theory, but the practical is the most important thing. And I feel like with grad schemes, you don't always get that because you come in, you do six rotations. So you do four rotations of six months and then you have to apply for a permanent position. Yeah. And then typically you you would be a grade, what we classify as a grade four, then you'd apply for like an AVP, assistant vice president. Um, grade five position um, and it can be a big jump because essentially yeah. from that to that position the main onus is, is ownership you have to own a process yeah. and um, essentially if you're kind of used to having a line manager that you can kind of go to, go to like what do you want me to do today yeah. how do I do what, yeah. what's today's task and x y and z and kind of just be delegated to your all right and, and that that level up you have to essentially be the person to say, okay, I'm going to get X, Y, and Z done today. Oh, this is a new idea of how we could work that I think we should implement. Yeah. And not everybody is, is is able to kind of just transition into that from 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 um, four six month rotations. So yeah. I would definitely say there's sometimes a bit of a gap there. That, but one thing I do think an organisation like this, and pretty much just pretty much society as a whole, uh, especially here in the UK, um, ben brings as a benefit is that those kind of people from different backgrounds are able to interlink and bring their their their, their ideas together on teams you'll often find like you like I mentioned I was in the branch network and I had an apprentice walking and his yeah. attitude was I'm, I'm young I'm an apprentice I'm working I didn't go to uni but I didn't I, I don't care I want to have fun do my yeah. thing and I was like my mentality was I'm trying to get a promotion tomorrow like <laughs> because yeah. I've, I've, I've gone and I've got uni debt to pay and all the yeah. XYZ so the slight little nuances but being able to kind of interlink in, 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 in the organisation um, helps as well, as well as to share best practices and stuff for us, isn't it? It's amazing. There's, there's so much. I had a, a kind of a final, I guess, question from you, and there are so many clips from this that I just know it's like pearls of wisdom. <laughs> um, what's next? What's mm. next, Nana? Do you know what? Honestly, at the moment, I'm doing a lot of stuff, even externally, around just helping to empower the next generation and like the future generation of leaders because I feel like with the, with the position that I've been put in, um, and I'm, I've still got a long way to go. I feel like I've got a responsibility to pay it forward and, and really try and help other people that I even might be in my position when I was um, 21, 19, 20, 21, get a better understanding of, of the options available to them. So what I'm doing at the moment is a lot of social social um, economic focus work, even aligned to my day job whereby I'm, I'm basically working to help empower the um, the next generation of entrepreneurs and also really pretty much just people entering the workforce trying to basically make sure they've got <coughs> the <coughs> soft skills to, to, to be able to make that transition because um, honestly I feel as though like um, uh, I, did, I did myself a disservice a little bit in finding out about all of the different options slightly too late. I feel like Obviously, without not to, dis to disappoint my parents, but I will, I, I feel like I could if I had explored some of the other options that were available, mm -hmm. I would have been a lot. And I, 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 I made up for it, and I've caught up quite quickly. But I would have been a lot more clued up about the working world from a young age, from a much young, younger age. Whereas, like, um, and so I would have been able to, God willing, of course, I would have been able to maybe make my move into the communications role within my second year in the bank because I would have known actually you don't have to become a personal banker if you've got yeah. the skills you can just make that transition to straight away but I had this thing of I need to become I need to get a role master the role make yeah. sure I know all the nooks and crannies and then prove and, 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 and then move on because I had this kind of imposter syndrome 
I don't belong here, but I, I want to prove that I have. So I've got something to prove, kind of yeah. mentality. So like, even in my years as a cashier, I stayed as a cashier until I was like the best cashier in London, <laughs> London, making the most referrals. And yeah. and then I thought, okay, cool, I've done that. Tick that off. Then I yeah. became a personal banker. And I was like the top three performing in the country. And then I thought I stayed there until until because like, I had a. a, a, a uh, appraisal, like a, a review of a manager at the time, I was like, you can do a bit better here, X, Y, Z, and I thought, you know what, I'm not, and I, I kind of took that as a, because what I've also learned with life, yeah, is that, um, especially for, with the transition from education to employment, even when you're going to bearing for internal roles, is that you're not always going to get an answer that you want. You might leave an interview thinking, I smashed it, and you'll get there. Unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> we have, yeah, yeah. you know, or graduate scheme or whatever, but what I've learned is, it's important to turn your pain into power, so that it's important to turn um like kind of a rejection into fuel for you to really almost disprove that but that that person's um lack of faith no i wouldn't call it a lack of faith because it's not sometimes it's not that it's not that cynical it's not that that it might just be somebody else like slightly picked you but it's always important i take any sort of rejection as a positive reinforcement to show you i'm going to show you why you were wrong kind of you know what i mean and and, and excel and I, I feel like I want to try and embed that into the future generation as much as possible. So I'm doing a lot of work now to help to do that. And that in itself is also helping to improve my own leadership skills. Because yeah. one thing about myself is I've never actually land managed anyone. Like, even though I've moved up in my, 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 to yeah. a quite senior position, I've never been a land manager. And I feel like I owe that to somebody to at least maybe on an ad hoc basis provide some mentorship, help develop them and then itself, that that over the years has really shaped me as well as an individual. So even though like I didn't I, I went to uni, um I, I'm able to re- relate really well to my colleagues regardless of their background, whether they study and again, looking back at like what I told you earlier, coming back to this country as a Ghanaian immigrant at twelve years old, thinking, Oh my God, like I've got colleagues from Asia, yeah. I've got colleagues from, from all over Europe from the Americas, how am I going to re- relate to these people to all of a sudden now being a, 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 a champion for, within my organisation and just my community in general for bringing people together? I, yeah, definitely feel like I, um, I could I could make um, the organisation I work for and even myself a good um, powerful force in the future. So where can, pe- can people find your social outreach work? What, yeah. Where can they find Amazing. them? Yeah, so um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to find yeah. me. So my name is um, Nana, Nana Ejiman, which is um, November Alpha, November Alpha. I'm too corporate, but <laughs> spelling it all, all phonetically. And then and my surname is, I will do it, Alpha Golf Yankee Echo, Mike Alpha November Golf, so A-G-Y-E-M-A-N-G, and my first name is Nana, N-A-N-A. And yes, an Ashanti name, is unisex, so it's actually ah. um, both male and female name. Um, it's an Ashanti name, meaning yeah. the king or queen or prince or princess, depending on Wow. Like, what. In the presence of great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, and we'll put all that in the show notes so yeah. people can just hit the link to, yeah. to follow your work. I'm just like, um, well, I'm like so grateful you could, uh, like, you offered me this opportunity no, to so. learn about your experiences, to be in this fantastic facility and uh, really excited to, to share this with all the listeners. Yeah, hopefully we can do a part two sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nana.